Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin keskin a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijon, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Andor and Patterson, a series and a film that hone in on the details of ordinary lives. Beautiful. We love ordinary life over here. Sometimes too much happens on TV shows and like every now and again we just want to see how someone brushes their teeth, you know? Yeah, actually yes. You've been all right, Jenny. What's been on your mind this week? What's going on? So I have been thinking a lot in light of Halloween about dog costumes or pet costumes, but specifically dogs. I've been seeing a lot of dog costumes. Interesting. Please continue. Yes. Well, there are a lot of events where um, people bring their dogs dressed up for Halloween in in these past couple of weeks uh, in New York. And, you know, I've been going to, to several of them because... I mm. I love dogs. I love costumes. Uh, all this stuff, and it, it just occurred to me because I've now been to some of these events maybe like four or five times now. Like mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. not innovating much in dog costume space. Okay, in, what do you propose? Industry. What do you? Propose? I don't know. Like every year, you I I just <laughs> noticed you see the same you see the same hot dogs. You see the same tacos. The same yeah. like. Probably the most exciting one is a little cowboy riding on top of the dog and on their that little vest the or something. It's true, and yeah. they all look amazing, but but a little bit stale. I I gotta say, um, yeah. I don't know what I I'm proposing you. except we need more innovation in this space, and I think this is a job that I would love to have. Do you know what? I think we're losing the the skills of <laughs> like the hard earned working class skills of arts and crafts. That's the issue. I think a lot of people are spending too much time buying their costumes instead of making them. Yeah. There's something called slow fashion. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend going to the fabric store. Get those sewing machines out. Get those sewing <laughs> machines out, girls. Um, yeah, that's no, but seriously. I think I, I genuinely think that's it. <laughs> like, I think people like, especially if you want to do the thing that you do for yourself, which is pretend to be characters of a tv show or a film which is what i'm interested in mm. um in terms of costumes last night i saw a nathan fielder which was amazing oh he love had that the, the laptop, he had the laptop stand. yeah yeah he had the whole thing the laptop was on the whole time i don't know how he did it anyway <laughs> yeah for if you want to do that for dogs which is obviously far more preferable than seeing it on humans mm. you need to get innovative you need to start yeah. getting you know your your dog's measurements Get yeah. your dog mother start cut, <laughs> start cutting, make patterns, start cutting. Let's go. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Every single one of you who who has the time to do that. Thank you yeah. for your service. So that's sort of what I've been thinking of lately. Um, yeah. Helen, what about you? What's going on with you? So I decided this week that I was going to wake up and watch as many films as I could in one day. So I've had a light not a lightish work week <laughs> i would say where i could do what i needed to do I, I was doing something very tedious on my laptop and then in the background i was like i'm gonna watch films because i can do that um because i work from home and it's the best thing to ever happen to me so on day one i watched six films and then on day two i watched five films oh my god it was great i will say it's interesting when you watch that many films in one go how the better films just stand out Mm. and mm-hmm. and what you respond to in those better films like better to you like better to yeah. me is like yeah. someone that like likes to get engaged some films truly should be seen in the movie theater because you really really cannot be like i was second screening it don't get me wrong but like there were points where i was triple screening it where i was like checking my phone while my <laughs> laptop was up and then in the background the screen was going 
No, some films I couldn't do that because they were that engaging and, yeah. and there was like truly like something intense happening. I'll I'll give you guys the list in the newsletter of like the films that I watch, but oh, I, yeah. can I can I say the ones that I like the most? Yeah, over the go two for days. It. So I watched a film called Border on Hulu. It's really weird, but I highly recommend it. I really like Lady Macbeth. I think that's on Hulu or it's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. Is that with um Florence Pugh? It's her breakout role. Yeah, she's. I think she's nineteen in that, and she's incredible. And it's it's a really really well shot film too. It's a period piece, but it's like haunting in every frame it's so good and then um possessor david cronenberg's son shot this and it's got andrea riseborough in it and she's incredible and the premise is nuts <laughs> like it's just it's a really really nuts premise but it, there is a lot of body horror in it so mm -hmm. be warned um he's his father's son what can i say um and then the next day i watched american honey which is uh andrea arnold's film i'm a huge andrea arnold fan so that's the person that did Fish Tank, if you've ever seen Fish Tank. This is her first film set in the in the US. Excellent film, very fucking long though. So <laughs> also be forewarned. So th that those have been on my mind. Those those uh, two days of just chalk booking mm. films. And it's been it's been fun. Honestly, I feel like I need to do that like once a month. Um, yeah. Yeah, just get it out. Bloodletting in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you were able to to do yeah two days straight marathoning like that's that's impressive and I don't know if I could well I say I don't know if I could sit still for that long but that's actually not true because I've done oh yeah go, we of time with with TV yeah yeah so it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. probably not with movies but TV somehow feels different to me for sure and I, and I think with tv when you're binging because there is the running thread of the same universe same characters same world same writers like it feels a little bit more of a continuity and, and with films when you do that it's the not whiplash necessarily but the constant tone change of each film you know like mm -hmm. especially because i was picking from very different worlds and eras and genres um that was the fun of it honestly for me just dabbling in and out um yeah but yeah Nice. Well, speaking of things that you watched, um, what did you watch yeah. this week, Pellin? So the one, <laughs> I would say the one episode of TV I watched this week was actually the latest episode of this, which is Andor. Um, Andor is on Disney Plus. It's their latest series um, on their platform. And this time it's occurring within the Star Wars universe. Um, they've been doing a lot of Marvel. Not a huge fan of them, uh, but... I think the Star Wars one, I watched Mandalorian, which I did like. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I started watching this because of the creator and showrunner, who is Tony Gilroy. And I'm a huge Tony Gilroy fan. Michael Clayton, which is a film that he wrote and directed, is one of my favorite films of all time. It's in my top four on Letterboxd. Mm. Um, he also did Born Legacy. And he also did Rogue One. So he, uh, Rogue One is the movie about rebel forces in the Star Wars universe as well. And he was brought into rewrites i think so this is a character that started existing in that world it was a character made up for this film so he kind of took this character and made a tv show out of it um i want to preface this by saying that i'm not the biggest star wars fan you know i've seen i think almost all of the films can't say i remember much from any of them to be honest like i remember certain fight scenes i remember certain characters um the most important thing is that i have never seen rogue one I know. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Are you a Star Wars fan? Not really. I would say, like, I I missed out on a lot of the sort of formative sci-fi works, including Star Wars. I don't think I've watched 
any of the films. Maybe I watched mm. like half of one of the earliest films, like as a child. Like maybe that's the extent of it. Um, yeah. Mandalorian was really my first real entry into mm. this universe, and that was mm-hmm. because uh, people were saying it was good, and it was like yeah. it was good even if you're not a Star Wars fan, and that is yeah. the same case with Andor. Yeah, and I would argue that it's even better than Mandalorian. Like, yeah. The reason why I prefaced it is because I genuinely think that this is the best Star Wars thing I have ever seen out of all of the films, out of the TV shows, and you really, really don't need to know much uh, to go into it. I genuinely don't think you do. Which is a sign of like a very successful, you know, entry point into a universe. Like this is not to criticize like Rings of Power, but this is like how you really... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get into a universe you no one needs to know that much more about anything that yeah. happened before this like this is a yeah. perfect example of that yeah and it's it what's fascinating is i was watching Andor alongside house of the dragon and rings of mm-hmm. power and it was just wild how head and shoulders above those two shows it was it didn't do the thing of like hey we all know why we're here yeah of house of dragons yeah and it also didn't do the please say um, we're introducing this world, please say, <laughs> that yes. Rings of Power was doing. <laughs> yes. It was it was just confidently itself. Um, and you get that from the jump, dude. Like from the first scene, the tension is already there and you are already there as an audience. We'll get into more details, but I, I just want to say that this is a 12 episode season. We, as of recording this podcast episode, we are eight episodes have been released. Um, it is a limited run. The creators, the channel, they know the limits of it and i really enjoy that i love that um part of it is because of who who the protagonist is and where he is in this kind of universe so mm-hmm. this is a prequel to the rogue one film where we follow the thief turned rebel spy cassie and andor in the five years preceding the film so it's it is very limited um mm-hmm. it isn't just like a hundred years before or 500 years before so Cassian Andor is played by Diego Luna, who reprises his role. Diego Luna, if you don't know him uh, from the film Itu Mama Tambien with Gael Garcia Bernal, one of the finest, most lovable, adorable Mexican actors of our time. In addition to him, we have, uh, it's, it's a pretty sick cast. I will say like there's, there's a lot of like heavy hitters in here. So there's Stellan Skarsgård, Fiona Shaw is in this, Forrest Whitaker shows up, Andy Serkis shows up, Eben Moss Buckrack is in this for all my... Bearheads. Um, <laughs> uh, there's obviously like faces that are familiar to me as someone that has watched British TV, but maybe not as familiar to the US audience. Mm-hmm. The reason for this is because they were shooting primarily in the UK and Ireland, and so they were able to hire a bunch of British actors who are very, very good at their jobs, and I think elevated the show. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> anyway, so much like the running current of theme within the Star Wars universe, this is about an oppressive galaxy empire and the rebel forces that are trying to work against that oppression. Same theme, we've seen it in the films, it continues. However, the difference is the films are very uh, big picture about all of that. We see everything kind of zoomed out. What Andor does is zoom in. It takes a couple of steps forward to peer really closely into the details you know like how the empire does oppress how it affects day-to-day people how the history of oppression has resulted in different forms of survival for different forms of people and different takes on how they view 
the oppression too yeah um and also from like the oppressor's point of view the bureaucracy that goes into it yes like the minute mundane uh everyday like office work that goes into genocide and and running an empire yeah exactly i just want to give a quick shout out to the peering in in terms of like a technical aspect the production designer is luke hull and he worked on chernobyl and I listened to an interview with Tony Gilroy and he talked about how the production designer was, especially when they first started writing and breaking out in the writer's room, he was in the room with them because everything that they talked about to do, Luke had to build something for it or Luke had to kind of conceptualize what that would look like. And you can really see that work. Like when the production designer and the writers work together, this is what you get. I think a lot of the critique so far with a lot of the Disney Plus shows is that it really clear that it's on a soundstage um you don't get that feel from this and it's because there's actual texture going on uh, whether it's like kettle pots um kitchen bowls spoons what they pour their milk out of you know just like really little details like this i, I was having a really really great time saying all of that was there any like was there a room or a world that we were in that really stuck out to you in what we've seen so far i think all of them are really good and distinct mm-hmm Something that particularly caught my attention was like the imperial bureaucracy again, like that's still like Mm. sort of staying in my mind and how much of it reminded me of the sterile sort of oppressive nature of severance, uh, the severance office as well. And that's extended to this, like it's borrowing from the same sort of uh, aesthetic playbook that very white, very gray, very uniform um, yes. the repetition and you you zoom out and it's like kind of this uh huge honeycomb of yes. activity yeah. the, the the mundane activity uh but yeah it really captures that feeling one well, along with the prison i'll say which is under the same mm-hmm. sort of network imperial network again the the sterile nature of that place and how yeah. the cruelty of that design reveals itself yeah and the vastness of it i think that's the thing that feels so claustrophobic yeah, it's just the sheer might of it. Like, you really, really feel it. It's it's fascinating. And especially, like, with the sterility of that, the way that it's countered by some of the worlds that feel a little bit more nature-focused, a little yeah. bit more dirty, a little bit yeah. more human. I'll say um, I, I love also the very brief look we got at um, Naimos or, or whatever the... Um, the tropical like tourist oh my god yeah world that he that uh, yeah cassian gets arrested on. that's like venice beach like in yes an alien like stoner world like that it's is so good. It's amazing yeah it's incredible um i also want to give a shout out to the score which is by nicholas oh, brutel yes the great nicholas brutel i'm so happy that they got him for this it just he he just honestly takes it to another level mm. um you notice it i think in that world because it's a brand new track. It's something that isn't so Star Wars minded. It's a little bit different. It deviates. Yeah. And it's a banger. That song that they play in that world is a fucking banger. And yeah. um, I need them to kind of release that shit on <laughs> Apple, Apple iTunes. Um, anyway. Yeah. No, I'm I'm having a really great time. Just it's a, it's a huge feast for the eyes. It doesn't feel like anything that we've seen before in terms of Star Wars, even though it feels cut from the same cloth. Uh, which yeah. I which I think is fair. Like I think it's um, a really really fine act of balance. I want to get into a little bit about how this is written to bring it back to Tony Gilroy. Um, one of the things that he does really well as a writer, and this is something that Michael Mann is also really good at, 
is writing characters that are very good at their jobs, whether they are the protagonist or the antagonist. And what that ends up doing is creating tension. You know, we talked about being with the side of the Empire, with the characters that are working on the side of the Empire. How did you feel about how this works? Because we spend a decent amount of time with them. Yeah, even up to like maybe 40%, I think, is spent on the Empire, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm all for it. I think it's a very intelligent and mature choice for like a an intelligent mature you know showrunner to to make yeah. like the this is we're no longer at the point where you know you can kind of paint this as like a, a production for children and make the protagonist and the antagonist like sort of black and white shells like we don't want these villains who are so dopey and incompetent and cartoon like in a way like that yes. is that does not cut it for a a production like this like this is mm-hmm. star wars for adults as it really yeah. should be um yeah. and so it's honestly like how can you not have antagonists that are terrifyingly uh competent, competent. Yeah. terrifyingly yeah. you know capable like yeah. otherwise how how else would this threat be believable like this yeah. is this has to be believable in that sense yes exactly I want to give a shout out to Denise Go, who plays Deidre Miro. She is the very, very competent, I guess, Empire CIA agent is the best way to describe her, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like the intelligence yeah, security intelligence, forces. Right. Yeah. Um, and then also to Kyle Soller, who plays Cyril Khan, who is the guy that we meet first, essentially, the first antagonist. Mm-hmm. And his his arc is quite interesting, right? Because he he's very important in the first half, um, or like at least the first three episodes. Yeah, and then and then suddenly isn't. Um, he, but he we fails. still yeah, but he fails. But then we see him constantly in the background. You know, we check in with him every now and again, especially the scenes with his mother, who's played by Catherine Hunter, who you will know from Tragedy of Macbeth. She plays the witch. Um, their scenes are very funny but also there's just something very ominous about his permanent yes. presence like what is he gonna do like what that's do? sort of a big question is yeah. he gonna he has the, sh- the vibes of like um honestly kind of like a mass shooter a school yes i was gonna yeah. say like a school shooter <laughs> like a like yeah. someone who is going yeah. he is gonna get set off at some point and yes. um yeah it's one of the big question marks i think that keeps it interesting on that side like what is this dude gonna do yeah. Is there any possibility that he would switch over to the rebel side? I don't think so. But No, um, yeah, no. So speaking of the season so far, the first half of it, it leads up to something that you and I enjoy greatly, which is a heist. And the second half of the season is with the fallout of that heist, especially with Cassian, spoiler alert, I, I mean, we already said it, ending up at prison. How are you feeling about this split? Like, Because um, I, I think we spent like the first three, four episodes trying to see how Cassian gets recruited, essentially. What would the Netflix version of this show be? Oh, God. I mean, they would build up to the heist. Um, yeah. The heist would be, you know, it would, it would be a little bit more marvelized, I think, in a yeah. sense. There wouldn't be quite the stakes involved in yeah. the sense of... The interesting thing is that it's successful, but you also feel the sense of loss and, like, devastation yeah. and how much this costs these characters and the rebels. Yeah. Um, there, there's a grief involved with that that I think yeah. is pretty layered. And, yeah, I don't know. I think Netflix would... I, I think they would just, like, cut it pretty closely 
after that yeah. like the, the that's where it it ascends sort of the climax and then the, 100% yeah. you get the happy ending or the the start of a happy ending yeah no i mean the heist would be the season finale right like yeah. that's that's yeah. the, that's a problem um yeah no i mean my favorite thing about this is that there's so much balance between high tension scenes where a lot of information is being doled out so you have to pay attention you you really do like you you know hit the subtitles you need to get the details this is one of those shows you cannot second screen this at all and then to balance that out it's just a bunch of people talking in rooms like two people talking in a room two people having a conversation and what they're saying to each other every line is important there is not a line wasted that doesn't inform who that character is or inform the story or do both at the same time it's like there's all the fat has been trimmed it's just perfect and honestly, like, again, this is a Star Wars show. I don't care about Star Wars. The fact that we are, this is one of the best TV shows I've seen this year, hands down, is astounding to me. Like, who would have thought? <laughs> not me. Like, I I would not have thought yeah. that this, I would be here talking about this. Yeah. And I think the thing is, like, Tony Gilroy, I think I there was some interview where he said, bas- he was asked basically, like, how did you get away with all this? Like, yeah. there is everything from more or less examples like police brutality yes. or like a brutality by you know authority figures there's like surveillance from mm-hmm. intelligence there is of course the prison conditions like everything yeah. that you would not think would be in a disney production yeah is in there and he was asked like how did you get away with this and he said more or less like basically we had very little adult supervision yeah and that's that's yeah that's what you do like if you are someplace like Disney, you we want to produce something of this caliber. You hire the people who know how to do this, who yeah. have a, who are good at doing this, and you just leave them the fuck alone. Yeah, you just trust them. Um, I I mean, I will say like just as a final thought, this has done something for me on an emotional level that I was not expecting. Um, Star Wars has always been about the oppression of the Empire and the Rebel forces. But the way that this is written and the way that it's depicted, right now, we are dealing with so much oppression. We are dealing with so much injustice. And to see characters on screen talk about the level of like how inescapable that injustice feels or oppression feels and then still have the fight in them. I don't know. It just emotionally, it's really, really feeding something in me that believes that hope cannot be lost either. Um, So... Yeah, it's it's been a really, really entertaining and also fulfilling time, which is odd to say about a Disney Plus show, but it's what it is. And I'm having a great time and I'm really, really excited for the final four episodes. All right, Jenny, so what did you watch this week? So I watched Patterson, which is available to stream on amazon video mm-hmm. um this is a 2016 film it's it's a yes. drama it's written and directed by jim jarmusch uh, it stars adam driver as a bus driver and a poet named patterson who lives in patterson new jersey a real place mm-hmm. and uh he lives there with his wife laura who's played by gold shifty farhani uh and the film is set over the course of a week showing how each day unfolds in patterson um before we get into it, I do want to acknowledge just the randomness of my pick. I know this is kind of out of nowhere because this is not a recent film. It's not a very well-remembered film either, I think. Why did I pick it? Um, because it's your podcast and you can do what the fuck you want, Jenny. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the answer right there. Exactly. Uh, so here we are. <laughs> um, so this is one of those very quiet films um, mm-hmm. that deals with like ordinary life again. And actually remind reminded me a little bit of Kogonata's Columbus, uh, which we mm. also discussed on this podcast, which mm. is again, like a very quiet film in which not much appears to happen at all, but things yeah. do happen on just like a much smaller scale. They, they happen on a human scale an everyday scale. Yes. More or less. It's about, like ordinary people with ordinary lives in a in ordinary place, like mm-hmm. a town in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in that that smallness and ordinariness that you can find beauty, which is actually what this film is pretty much about, in a sense. How how you find art and beauty and inspiration in these everyday circumstances, yeah. whether it's like overhearing someone's conversation. Uh, small moments, interactions, like scenes, um, these very tiny things. And as an artist or a poet, as Patterson is, what it's like to be a working artist, an artist yeah. who actually has to work to support his livelihood and, and the livelihood of his wife, whose art he supports with his job, is that kind of working artist how he has to be able to find those tiny bits of inspiration mm-hmm. um, and this time to work in his art in between everything else going on. Otherwise yeah. he will never be able to actually write and do pursue his poetry and his art. And that yeah. is just not a way for an artist to live. So yeah. Tell me, Pellin, how did you find this film? You know, I watched this film, I think in 2018 for the first time. Okay. And um, I rewatched it recently, obviously after you said it was your pick and the way that perspective changes everything is actually fascinating. So mm. in 2018, I had just started taking my own creativity seriously, like just, and I was struggling with it mentally. I was really struggling with taking it seriously just for what it is, not for what it could do for me, like whether it could make money for me or whether I was even good at it. And like, these are all Mm. things that were top of mind, especially like me four years ago. And I watched it recently as a person that now actively pursues their creativity and Mm. doesn't care if it does, if it makes money for me. And believes in its worth just for making me happy that's it yeah before i was lukewarm on this film and now i fucking love this film dude (laughs) and that it's fascinating isn't it like i think i think this film is not for everyone and Mm -hmm. i think it really is a bit of a raw search what's the word raw search test uh raw chart listen fuck rorsch how he pronounces I'm keeping this in. I'm very quickly. Um you know what we mean. I just think if you see creativity in a certain way, you will take this film for what it is. Um and if you don't, then you might misinterpret or you might it might not do it for you. And that's also fine. Like it's not an issue. Um but But it is I I do think it is true that it says something about art and creativity and how you respond to it maybe tells us like where you are in that um your approach to this at this yeah. moment or how you're yeah. feeling about it. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 That is really interesting to hear. Um, I'm glad that your perspective has, has shifted on it. And I, I do think a lot of people who, who make art and who are passionate about making art. And especially I think for those people who again are like working artists, you have to make, mm. maybe you're not at the point yet in your life or your career where you have the freedom and the time and the, and the money or success to be able to do 
what you want at will in regards to your creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. Like you're a lot of us, many of us, especially I think who are listening to this, this podcast, like we're all working on stuff We're we're, we're working on it. Um, we have yeah. dreams and still like art for art's sake, I think is one of the most important things as, as a creative force. And yes, yeah just something as part of humanity and yeah yeah th- this film is like a dedication to that it's um for the love of that so there's no necessarily like huge dramatic arc the conflict and there is conflict it creeps up on you mm-hmm. it's again very small like you might hear it in someone's summary event you might think okay that's very funny like that is that's that's nothing yeah. but it the, it's so impactful in its small scale Mm -hmm. so to go into the conflict further the antagonist if you can call him that is (laughs) uh is a dog it's a dog um owned by the wife laura it's a disobedient little english bulldog named marvin who you see being a brat throughout the entire film and the climax is essentially spoiler alert it's a dog ripping up patterson's notebook Mm -hmm. um, where he writes his poetry and this is like, again, this is a small thing. This is what bratty dogs or animals or children sometimes they do. But within the context of the story and the world that it's built and the characters, you feel it's devastation. It is such yeah. a tragedy. And I found, I found myself unexpectedly moved by that because yeah. you see how much Patterson, again, he's an artist, he's a poet, he he puts his soul into his works, which yeah. is in this little notebook that exists nowhere else. So you feel just like what a loss it is when this thing is destroyed. Yeah, I mean, I think the general rule is losing work through life, like whatever that might be with your shit getting stolen or eaten by a dog or whatever, torn up by your yeah. kids, is devastating it yeah. really it really feels like you had momentum and something just came out and pulled the rug out from underneath you and took the mm-hmm. power cord out of the outlet you know obviously what this film tells you is that ultimately you just keep going um and yeah you know the, the, in this day and age obviously the lesson is back back your shit up like in general <laughs> um yeah but, but yeah. this dude doesn't even have a cell phone he is not very technologically He's very analog yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I found it really charming how um they foreshadowed this conflict too because mm. they showed this little dog and how he was acting out in all sorts of ways including how he like fucks up their mailbox every single day before yeah. uh Patterson comes home and Patterson comes home every day and is like what the like what happened to this mailbox? Yeah. And he has yeah. to fix it and then every single day we see this happen like like clockwork <laughs> the dog comes out and, and fucks it all up again. I thought that was so delightful mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah i i will say like there are some things that i don't like as much about this film like mm. um some of the performances feel a little stiff coming from like the background or the the side characters the minor mm. very minor players and there is like almost um in artificiality to how some of these characters are constructed um mm-hmm. whether they like play pretty much to to type like they're they come off a little bit stock character um yeah but i will say like a lot of that is redeemed by adam driver yeah who is just wonderful in this yeah film. yeah and it's fascinating to see him because this is when i mean I, I guess he still does it where he 
just gets whatever work. He's clearly an actor that wants to work with different directors. You can tell that he's very, very yes. particular about who he wants to work with. Yeah. And Jim Jarmusch is a legend in his own, own right, but he's more of like a cult favorite director than a mainstream yeah. favorite director. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love I love him in this. And I also, yeah. I love Ghost Shifter Farahani because I think she, I've seen loads of films where, where she's acting in her mother tongue, like in mm-hmm. Iranian films, mm-hmm. but this is the first one that I'd seen where she was in an American film. And she's still, you know, again, like she has such emotive eyes, which really, really do a lot of the heavy lifting with the scenes of intimacy between the two of them. But they're my favorite couple, dude. Like they're one of my favorite film couples. They're a really tender couple. And you can see like the dynamic is so wonderful in a sense. Like you, she is this, um, I guess you could say stay at home wife, she mm-hmm. is very interested in several different creative pursuits. Like she has her own art to kind yeah. of dabble in and, and you see her interests shift day to day. Yeah. And how Patterson not only like tolerates it and he supports it uh financially, but he also genuinely loves it for her. Yeah. He loves to see her do what makes her happy. Yeah. Um and you would think that this would make kind of like a like sometimes it is upsetting to see like how she can do flit around and do whatever he wants she wants while patterson like has to grind in and put in the the work to keep them housed and and Mm -hmm. fed and clothed but uh, you also see the love that she has for him and how much she is the one person in the world who knows his poetry who knows his art and how wonderful he is and how she also supports that um, yeah. from a very emotional sort of place. Despite their differences, there's there's a constant level of respect that they have for one another. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it doesn't matter that he works and she doesn't. It doesn't matter that he seeks comfort or takes comfort in the routine, whereas she likes to change it all the time for herself. They just love each other for who they are, you know? And that's yeah. that's uh, that's love, kids. That's it. Right there. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I love them so much, yeah. This film actually made me grow to appreciate poetry it's just again. so hard um, which is so hard it's so hard it's, i mean oh my god especially like as we are inundated as we are particularly in i guess the adjacent spaces in which mm-hmm. we operate like brooklyn mfa lit twitter poetry scene like all that kind of stuff yeah. um it's really sort of done a number on me in terms of yeah. liking and appreciating poetry yeah. which is a shame because I I used to like poetry a lot actually I mm. I wrote poetry when I was like in college um and Damn, then I didn't know that. it just like fell off but yeah. yeah I mean this poetry the the poems that is actually that actually run throughout this movie mm-hmm. and the way that Adam Driver voices them it's really beautiful that that's all I can really say do you know who wrote the poems I believe they were written by this poet Ron Paget. And some of them were even specifically written for the film, which is kind of amazing. That's insane. I think he's like a very accomplished poet and writer. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a huge deal for for this film to get his poetry. And no wonder they resonated so much because it's written by a legit poet, a very amazing poet. Yeah. I mean, great work, dude. I think poems are very similar to dreams where you kind of don't, people for some reason turn off when you start talking about them or you start reading one. Um, and for me, poems anyway have always been an internal thing. Like I, I like I like to read poems. I don't like to hear them. Um, yeah. So that was a bit of a barrier for me when I first watched it. But knowing what the film was about and just like letting myself kind of fall into it on the second watch, um, 
you really get to appreciate the beauty of the lines and how they work with one another. I've 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 seen the kindergarten teacher, which is also about poetry, and that also made mm. me appreciate poetry, but <laughs> in the way that it's like it's so fucking hard to do it. Um yeah. and it's so hard to get it right. But yeah, no, this is this is this is a film about poetry through and through and, and the beauty of it and the beauty of like creativity to get there. Um yeah. and I just I, I think it's astounding that this got made, if I'm gonna be really real. <laughs> like Yeah. I'm so happy it exists. I'm just surprised that it does. So this week for culture notes, we are gonna be talking about Twitter. Ugh. So Twitter. Where do we even start? So yeah. Twitter is now owned by Elon Musk, in case mm-hmm. you haven't heard the news. Yep. Um, this was after kind of a very drawn out legal battle and back and forth, more or less. He wanted to buy Twitter. He backed out of it. Twitter made him commit, like follow through on his, his offer to buy Twitter. And finally, here we are. He bought Twitter. One of his first moves was to fire the C-suite, um, <laughs> say that he fired them with just cause so he doesn't have to pay out any of their uh, packages. Yeah, the, yeah, golden, the parachutes. golden parachute packages. Yeah. Yeah. This is all happening very quickly. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, like Elon Musk is probably going to make changes to Twitter in some sense. He's already saying, like, I'm going to have more free speech on my platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to hire a content moderation panel that is open to a variety of like viewpoints and everything Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of this, I think has sort of raised the question even more urgently than it has when this whole thing started unfolding, which is like, are you going to stay on Twitter? Like what is going to happen to Twitter? Mm -hmm. Where will we go after Twitter? Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. there is, this does spell an end to Twitter. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Like, culturally what does twitter mean to you like personally or as like a place to to find culture or find community to uh palin um well twitter has been honestly a source of joy and pain for me if i'm being mm-hmm. really real and i think recently i've gotten a pretty decent handle on it in terms of how i approach it and it what it means to me in general is that as someone that cares deeply about pop culture about films and TV, it's a place for me to just see different viewpoints and for me to kind of chat to my friends or like my mutuals about the things and also a source of comedy too because a lot of people are very funny on Twitter and I like to have a laugh on there every now and again. What it also means is having to see a bunch of thoughts that I disagree with and I think that also kind of jogs my um, critical thinking skills a little bit Um, even though I witness a lot of people that don't have much of that (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, but I mean ultimately like I saw the chatter about like people wanting to leave because he took over I don't think there's ever going to be a CEO that is ethically like similar to me Um, however will I leave maybe but that's not because he took over it's because I'm getting older and I kind of I kind of don't spend as much time on there anymore um what about you? Sure. Yeah, what, about, what what what's going on with you about this? Like what's been going on in your mind? Yeah. Well, Twitter occupies a very outsized presence, I think for yeah. media, journalism, spaces in which I'm ostensibly part of. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's like half personal, half like a resume builder. And that's not to say every successful yeah. journalist or writer has to be on Twitter, but certainly helps in a lot of it cases does. like it undeniably helps especially yeah. if you do have a following if you have a a blue check if you 
to have connections with people. Like if you're taking part in sort of the daily discourse and dunking on people, like actually that can get you a lot of followers and the followers legitimately help when you're job searching or when you're looking for a book deal or um, opportunities, anything like that. That's like an unfortunate reality. Yeah. So I can't see myself like just checking out of Twitter entirely for the sake of career purposes at this point in time yeah but i do think like there there are ways in which i've sort of minimized my engagement on there um Mm -hmm. honestly like i have a lot of ideas that i want to turn into something like i want i want to make something of them and uh max reed had a really good entry on his sub sub stack um about this which Mm. i think i linked in one of our sub stack posts a while ago but yeah yeah like why post ideas are free on twitter where they will basically get you some likes some engagement and that's sort of where they'll they'll fade away um yeah some of them can actually be turned into meaningful work that has a little bit more of a lasting power Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't tweet that much nowadays i still am probably looking at twitter scrolling through twitter too much but i just i'm not putting that much out there myself yeah i think this is good in some ways um bad in other ways maybe for my just attention getting which is like the goal of twitter ultimately yeah and also it's just it's it's always been a bit of a cesspool especially since the last like five years or six years of it with musk's takeover we've seen like i think a huge jump in obviously like racial slurs being used and it's just it's terrible it's just that a lot of people are talking about leaving it to them you know, leaving it to that type of person and then just trying to find another platform. And maybe that platform will be created, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's just, um, I don't know if I'll ever go there. That's the thing. Yeah. I'll probably is just there any, Yeah. Is there anything in the current landscape that has enough similarity? To, I don't to know. Clarity? Like, I think Peach was something that was quite popular like two, three years ago. I'm still on Peach, but like, I have like mm. seven friends on there, you know. But honestly, with the rise of close friends, like the circles option on twitter that might be it honestly Mm because it's the same format it's like a limited number of people like you're only tweeting to your circle that you trust maybe who's to say yeah i've been enjoying it way more since i've had circles i will i will say that much for sure Mm, so yeah you you like to you like to go off on circles quite a bit yeah babe which is the whole point so it is it is (laughs) yeah yeah i mean the the unique thing about twitter is like how you can all not only like play to your own circles, but also there is the greater public and you can get amplified very, very quickly. Yeah. You can r- run into other people, who, strangers you don't know very, very quickly for better or for worse. Yeah. Like yeah. this is a place where you can achieve, achieve virality, but yeah. also you can somehow get lifted into the entirely wrong context and audience. Yeah. And that can be devastating and yes. terrible as well. Yeah. There are not really that many platforms quite like this in yeah, a sense no. that are text-based. Like yeah. TikTok does something similar, but it's in a video format. Yeah. Like you don't quite have the same feeling of it yet, um, the same mechanics. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For, yeah. I guess, like film and movies, there's Letterboxd, although that's like, I don't know, again, if that replicates. It's uh, not as interactive. Yeah. yeah, it's not as interactive. Uh, it's it's you know it, I was thinking about this recently where I was like, well, you know, speaking of community that really did something for me, Tumblr was the one that yeah. really changed my life. Honestly, like yeah. straight up changed my life. That's where I met my husband. It's where yeah. I've met a lot of my close friends. 
that was like a, a lightning in a bottle captured moment and yeah. we can never get it back. And Tumblr obviously had its decline and demise because of buyouts, because of change. And a lot of people started shifting over to Twitter. And I think the main thing for me now is I'm not that age. I'm not at that age anymore where I need to make internet friends. Like a lot of the friends that I've made in the last few years um, have been in in person. Like I've I've met people mm. at events in in real life, and they just so happen to also have a Twitter, and then we follow each other that way. Yeah, it's it's a way I think to kind of continue maintaining a network especially for those that are a little bit older mm -hmm. but i don't know how you can maintain it in in other formats um there was a funny thing that someone said where they, everyone should just go to linkedin and uh change it <laughs> for from like just the neaky bootlicking platform that it is into something a little bit more like twitter and i'm down for that yeah we should we should do that Damn. um just turn it into a unionizing <laughs> platform that'd be great i'd love that sure yeah but no there's there's i don't i don't i think there are a couple of options if anybody listening knows about them let us know uh but they're not at that level that twitter is at right now um yeah yeah so we won't necessarily even leave twitter in the immediate future or if if ever but who knows? Who knows how things will shake out? Like maybe yeah. the platform will become unusable by various means. And and speaking of social media platforms, we are on TikTok. By that I mean we have claimed our TikTok handle. Yes. Criticism is dead, all one word. We haven't posted anything. I claimed this handle like half a year ago and I promised Pellin, oh yeah, we'll start doing TikTok. And yeah. I have not done a single thing, which I apologize for, but um, I don't know, like, if any of you know how TikTok works, if you follow other film, TV, culture people on TikTok, yeah. if there are things about their videos that you like that you would like to see us do, or any suggestions for what we should do with TikTok, uh, you should let us know, because yeah. we really... Pellin and I are actually like we're gonna try to give it a <laughs> we're gonna give it a try. We're gonna I give think, it a shot. Though. Yeah, I'm famously not on TikTok, so I really don't have a clue. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, let us know what you think we should do on there. Just a quick note: we are gonna be off for the next two weeks, so you should take that time to catch up on stuff, watch some new things, mm -hmm. let us know what you're watching. Uh, as always, we love your suggestions and ideas and we do legitimately keep track of them and, and try yes. to check them out. Yep. Um, you can always let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or DM us or add us at criticismisdead on Instagram or Twitter. And again, send us your TikTok ideas to any of those places as well. Um, any avenue. We're open to communication. Yes. Uh, for extended show notes, including links, tweets, and more, Subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review. Five stars only, please. <laughs> Maybe even tell a friend about us or proclaim your love for us on any social media platform of your choosing. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you in a few weeks. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Chisha. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.